I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going. This week's episode is with Mark Constantine, OBE, founder of Lush, who was recorded last Wednesday at the magnificent Manchester Cathedral in front of a live audience. The evening was pure magic with the utterly inspiring Mark retelling his epic journey and sharing his greatest life lessons from his 30-year career in business. Abandoned by his father at a very young age, Mark had a difficult start in life, ending up living on the streets at 16 with very little prospects. However, his sheer hard work and following his passion meant that he founded his first cosmetic brand from his kitchen table and ended up supplying the one and only body shop. Success continued and his strong sense of purpose developed and grew lush into this iconic brand it is today. With 928 stores globally, with the newest concept stores in Berlin, Milan and Tokyo and most recently Manchester, Mark and his team are forging the future of retail. He's the ultimate role model showing us that if you're determined, you can turn your life around through following your purpose and passion. He's someone who I hugely admire and so interviewing him in this epic space was one of my greatest career highlights. Hello, so good to have you here. <laughs> Come and sit down. Come and sit down. So, how lucky am I now to be able to finally meet you, the most magnificent of men. He's going to blush. I'm going to compliment him quite a lot. You are a complete hero of mine, um, someone who's not just changing the business landscape, but actually changing the world for the better. I'm a huge fan of Lush, and I've already told you this, but I've had a picture of you on my wall for the last three mm. years. It's a slight um, worry. I really have. And um, so thank you so much for joining me. I know you do, don't do many talks, so we're really honoured to have Mark here tonight. Um, so let us begin. It was a difficult one to whittle down, um, as we could have been here for four hours, so we were lucky. I have managed to do it, but there is so much to talk about. Because at the age of two, your father left, and you were brought up by your grandmother, your mother, and your aunt. Can you tell me what your upbringing was like? Uh, well, it was lovely. Uh, it was absolutely lovely until I got to about 12, when my mother decided to marry again, and, uh, and I suppose men came into my life. <laughs> Um, so it, it, that was, but up to that moment, it was blissful. Uh, my grandmother was just wonderful. Um, I, and I hadn't really sort of got to grips until recently about how much 
she was probably the inspiration in my life. Really? <laughs> and so these strong women, they had a profound effect Well, that's right. Me. I mean, it, it really worked well for me, that, because I just, I, it, yeah, it's always worked well for me. I just really like to work with strong women, and I really enjoy that world, which is just as well, because my wife is sort of, she's not masculine in any way, but I am <laughs> probably a little bit more in touch with my feminine side than she is. Um, <laughs> And, and tell me, you didn't find school the easiest of places. No. Was this because of more of a turbulent home life or were well, your passions not ignited? I think I did all right while I was with my grandmother. Yeah. And she would tutor me and I'd have to write good, better, best, never let it rest till my good is better and my better best, um, to try and get my handwriting good. I don't, she didn't succeed in that. But, <clears throat> but when we left, I'd passed the 11 plus to go to grammar school, which sort of surprised everybody. And then when we left um, my grandmother's home, when we went to the new home with my mum and my stepdad, uh, my grandmother died in a very short time, I mean like weeks later. And I've sort of realised since that probably from that minute on I blamed them. Um, which for a 12-year-old is a bit much really. I think I thought that I could have done something if I'd have been there or... I don't know what I thought. But that certainly was the moment. And that then went to, into your school life as well, that Well, feeling? yes, because I just became a complete pain in the butt. Did you? And you, and you did I spent more of my time outside of the classroom door than I did in the classroom, right. which was quite nice because I like watching the girls go by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you were, you were held back a year. Um, you failed yeah. your GCEs, that yeah. they were called. Yeah. And you had for a passion for the environment, hair, na natural beauty. Do you discover those things then? Well, 14, when I was 14. I, it is a bit weird. I don't... Well, I was talking to a taxi driver today, and I, didn't, I, I think between us we worked it out a little bit. Um, <laughs> basically, podcast, yeah. Isn't it? Well, well, I did. Well, especially for coming tonight. I thought I better work this out. I th when I was 14, uh, well, I liked doing amateur dramatics, and the youth employment officer uh, did the theatrical makeup for all the schools. Now, I don't know how weird is that. I mean, that is weird because he was a very straightforward man in his 50s. Um, Mr. Edwards, I can't even remember his first name, I think it might have been Frank, but, um, and, and basically, I, I really liked the idea of doing that because you got to go around all the schools and make all the pretty girls up, um, and at 14 that seemed very appealing, so he sort of took me under his wing and I started doing theatrical makeup, and then I wanted to go and do that for a living, but at the time, the BBC, who were the only people training people, only employed women. And he told me I wouldn't get anywhere. Being the youth employment officer, obviously you should you have should believed know. it. But yes. being a, you know, I didn't. And uh, I applied. I did get an interview with the BBC before they found out I wasn't a woman. I, I mean, I put my proper name and everything. I don't know <laughs> quite how that worked. But, but I became really obsessed with makeup and uh, uh, th especially theatrical makeup, just to buy all the latest lighting and stuff and be really, really into it. And then I got a job just after school working in the local barbers. It was, he was like a demobbed chap, and he just worked on the side of the road. Um, and I dusted the backs of the necks um, and, and didn't sell something for the weekend, which was always a bit awkward if he wasn't there. <laughs> right. Um, but d d d I, I, I'm just catching on. I'm trying there. to behave. Yes, in a yes, yeah, no, exactly. I'm just uh, I'm realizing where we are. <laughs> I'm and, on a strict, strict thing. We're on thing. strict rules here. Um, so. It, at 16, though, you found yourself homeless. 
and after a breakdown in your relationship with your mother and stepfather. Of course, a very difficult time, but can you tell me how, what that time was like and how it impacted your future? Well, I've sort of been building up to it, I think. Uh, you know, I, mean, I used to fight with my stepdad. My mum used to pour water over us, and he, was, he used to wait around the corner and punch me in the face, and it was all sure. getting a bit out of hand. And, and basically, um, it sort of reached a crescendo when I was just, in, just about 16. Uh, obviously, I wasn't going very far. Uh, and, and the door was locked. Um, and I had to make my own way. So I don't, you, you get very, it all gets very focused on just the, the, the most basic aspects in those circumstances. Because, uh, you know, I, I did have, in fact, I found out since that my father was actually in Britain at the time, and my, I had uh, grandparents still alive in, in Manchester. Um, and of course, I, you know, you're just so focused. And I had a job, because to, to do theatrical makeup, you either had to have an art A-level, which I didn't have, or you had to do a hairdressing apprentice. So I had a hairdressing apprenticeship job, but it was really badly paid. It didn't pay enough for the cheapest room in town. So, so I had the job, and the job could pay for, um, you know, food, enough food to keep me going, and, you know, replace a pair of trousers or a pair of shoes, but it couldn't pay for a room. I've talked to a couple of entrepreneurs for this podcast now where being an entrepreneur was born from just simply surviving. Um, that's what Joe Malone said. And what set you and her apart, you followed your passions and you were creative thinkers and problem solvers. And it proves that those skills are what we should be teaching from a young age and supporting. Moving on, and you followed that passion and that beauty and that hairdressing and, the, and your love of natural products. Where did your passion for natural, ethical, environmental products come from? And can you trace it back to an early, early version of Mark? Well, I can trace it back to going to the movies with, with my mum when I was very little. And um, it was a B movie. You know, I mean, in those days, you could watch three movies and... You know, there would be a B-movie and a newsreel and God knows what else. And this particular one had rat poison getting in the bread. And I'd ne I think it really did have a big impact on me. This, this rat put something so wholesome with something so frightening in it. Um, and then I sort of got quite funny about chemicals generally. And when my mum would, she'd perm her hair, you know, I'd hide at the other end of the house. And that uh, wasn't that, that big a house. But... So I, I, I think that's when it, you know, I mean, you can't explain it, can you? I, no. And I, I really didn't like the idea of unpleasant synthetic or poisons getting into something that was wholesome. And you founded your first business from your kitchen table in Poole, where you live now still, yeah. and you started making your first natural hair products. And then the universe collided and you met Anita Roddick. Yeah. What was this meeting like with her? Because was it a meeting of minds? Mm, no. No? Anita, Anita was unbelievably special, but it was more the passion and the drive and the flair and the... Um, the first time I met... I mean, we were both very excitable. I, I didn't have a phone, so I had to go out and put money in a thing, and she was gabbling away at the other end. And then I, I'd sent her some stuff, she ordered it, I didn't have any money, so I ordered all the raw materials, made the product, got credit from all the people supplying the raw materials. My friend Jeffrey got a, a van, 
Um, and we drove over there, and then I wanted cash on delivery. And in those days, if you got 50p, you could cash the check straight away. So I, okay. I cashed the check straight away, got my money, paid the suppliers. Um, she said afterwards she didn't know if she was going to sell any of it. It was the biggest order she'd ever placed with anyone. But what worked very well for us was that, obviously, I, I could make products, I could invent products, but I could also talk about them and explain them to, to her staff. Um, so I sort of became their main trainer and, and, and worked alongside her, although I was building my own business as well. But I built it, I mean, even when she came and saw my house, which was very modest, and, and saw what was going on, she didn't care. I think that was the great thing about her and Gordon, that they were not judgmental in that sense. They just, you know, they just encourage you all the time. It was, it was a very helter-skelter. Was it? And, uh, was Lots it, of argument. I was going to say, so those I, two I, energy balls, I really. can give you a classic example. Gordon yes. had a dreadful stutter. Um, so he, and it was always, it's always very delicate with someone that's got a stutter. You're given a lot of instructions, you know, don't interrupt him and don't do this. Um, and I remember phoning one time, and Gordon picked up the phone, and I could hear him breathing, and he was obviously building up saying, hello. And then he picked up the extension and started talking to me. Well, they didn't know it was me, but hi, who is it? And then we had, you know, a, a load of expletives from Gordon. Every time I pick up the phone, you're there to Anita. <laughs> now, they then had a full argument, and they still didn't know who was on the other end of the phone. And that was very, very typical. Wow, wow. I mean, I obviously never met her or worked with her, but she is someone who I do hold in such high regard yeah. for her vision and, and, and your vision. So you were stocking the body shop, um, yeah. being paid over nine million over three years to manufacture for the body shop. Well, what, what happened there was they went public. Right, yes. She took on a partner, and this is a salient lesson. When... She saw the idea of the body shop in San Francisco. In those days, uh, their particular relationship was not proper. So although they'd had two children together, he was then going to go and ride horseback from Buenos Aires to New York. Right? Okay. She had no idea if he was going to come back or not. <laughs> they had a, he'd had a legacy, and they'd bought a little hotel, which was full of homeless people, which wasn't really a hotel. And then they had a, a, a burger sort of place, in Brighton, and they sold the burger place, and she had seen the body shop, so she opened it. Now, she wasn't intending it to become anything more than that. Do you see what I mean? It was just yes, a way to make some just, money yes, because yeah. Gordon was off. <laughs> On his horse. On his horse. And, um, and he was an adventurer. I mean, he was a poet, an adventurer. He, he wrote short stories and had them published. He was a correspondent for The Observer. He did a lot of stuff. Um, and was very unbelievably good-looking and very charismatic, which sort of helped. Helped, and uh, and a horseman. He'd be, he'd he'd ridden in South America with the gauchos. He he'd been at, uh, um, in Australia herding sheep and God knows what. Cool, well, man. He was, and he was, he yeah. was very much like that. He was very intimidating for me because I'd really, you know, done yeah. nothing. Most you weren't riding horses. Well, the most impressive thing I'd done was slept in the woods. Yeah. So that was it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so. Really, they were, they were like a king and a queen. I mean, if you wanted entrepreneurial spirit, they had masses of it. I would go and do an exhibition. It would take me all day painstakingly chit-chatting and messing about. I'd go around with them 20 minutes to learn 10 times more, you know. Wow. Uh, so they were very, very charismatic and very influential in my life. But then the body shop was sold to L'Oreal. Yeah, well, let me just say, yes. so they, yeah, so what happened there, they went public. 
Mm -hmm. um, and then it became difficult for them to have a supplier that owned all the rights to the products. Well, so they yes, bought the rights to the products and I left. And you left. Well, I wasn't in, I, you know, I was no longer part of the You weren't part of it. They sold it to L'Oreal and so you decided then to set up your own cosmetics mail order company. Well, they which... sold to L'Oreal and I was cross. Were you? I didn't know Anita was ill. Right. They kept it secret. They sort of implied that, that it was McGlynn. Now, this is what I was going to tell everyone, okay? If you're starting a business like Anita and you've had an idea or you've seen an idea and you're going to do it, don't sell 50% to the local garage proprietor for four grand because you'll regret it. Right. Lesson number That's one from lesson Anita. lesson number one, then. Don't I mean... do that. Don't, you, you, it's very difficult to build a business alone without friends and colleagues and you know that yes. it's very very difficult to do that but if you're going to choose someone do give it some thought this chap didn't have a good history didn't have a good history with his wife nothing about it was appropriate apart from the fact he had the money don't you? He it, shouldn't, it, she shouldn't have done it and then when Gordon came back he was already on the back foot he was good but he was already only owning 50% so they went public to try and dilute McGlynn but then, of course, we, you know, myself and my colleagues, who were the creative team, were chucked out. And so we were paid, but we were chucked out. And the magic left the building. Well, the, some of the magic left the building. You ended up creating Cosmetics To Go, which yeah. ended up actually... Well, the reason we did Cosmetics To Go was it was a mail-order company, and Anita, because they'd done franchises, they couldn't do... They couldn't do mail order. So we could do mail order and, and fulfill that market without opening shops. And it didn't, wasn't so offensive. And we talk about this. It didn't work out, did it? No. no. Every order we sent out, we lost a pound. Yes. And we were really successful. <laughs> this can happen, actually, can't yeah. it? Although we talk so much on this podcast. How, how to make a small fortune. Start with nine million and sell a whole load of stuff where you lose a pound every time you send out an order. <laughs> take the lesson there although we talk so much on this podcast about actually just removing the word failure from language Levi Roots actually said in our last podcast live it just needs to be renamed feedback what did you learn from this experience as in how did it shape you building your next business we, we have a little saying at work feedback is a gift but you wouldn't want it for Christmas <laughs> That's so good, yes. And that is the issue, isn't it? Feedback's great, but you really don't want it. For me, the, uh, if I didn't have the word failure for cosmetics to go, it would be shame. Yeah. Shame that it didn't work through. Mm, shame. Were you trying to prove something, I mean, not prove something to yourself or others, but was there that sense of following this epic ride with the body shop? You, you know, you wanted to do this again. You wanted to build something um, again. No, not really. Uh, no, I think if I'd have had a bit more direction, it might have been more successful in that sense. Yep. No, we were, we were so busy in the shadow. I mean, it was the fastest growing cosmetic company in the world My goodness. at that time. You know, so we were in that shadow and we were trying to, make, we were trying to have something of our own. You know, supplying them was great. Um, the bank used to tell us all the time that it was far too dangerous. Looking back now, I wouldn't advise myself and say that was dangerous. No, no, stick with it. I mean, mm. you know, it was a great relationship. And, um, but they, they were struggling. They, I mean, I don't know how bad things were for them in terms of anxiety and, and panic and, 
you know, and dissatisfaction, but I do think it was pretty extreme. And I think that's the norm. So if I had another lesson that I would convey, be ready to go through panic attacks and anxiety and don't make your decisions while you're in that state. Yes. Because, yeah. and it seems obvious, doesn't it? Well, of course you wouldn't, but you do because you're frightened. Yeah. Um, and fear is the, probably the biggest danger for any entrepreneur, um, especially in the middle of the night, my experience. Absolutely. Those ones are awful. So you founded Lush back in 1994, the same year. Seven of us. Yes, the same year that your business collapsed. And seven of you founding, including your wife, Mo, from a small shop in Paul. What were those early days like? You were packaging free even back then 24 years ago. Yeah. Well, we couldn't afford the packaging. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's a good story now, though, isn't it? Well, I'd learned there were a lot of lessons. I, anyone who's, who bought from Cosmetics to go remember, it was extremely overpackaged, and it was very lovely. It was quite oh, I glorious. Loved it. Loved and you've it. got your parcel, and all the stuff came out, and there were sweeties and all sorts of nice things. But basically, it was overpackaged. Therefore, the products, we could never make enough money to cover the, all, the, all the cost. When it went bust, you know, we'd blown all our money. I and mean, it was one of the best parties. It only took us 18 months to blow all that money. Um, so we'd blown all the money. Uh, we'd had a great party. I'd done this stupid thing. I'd, I'd made 200 grand, right? And I had a mortgage on my house, and I had a mortgage on a factory, and I had a mortgage on the shop in 29 High Street. And instead of paying the mortgages off, which I would do now, with hindsight, I bought this place in Swanage <laughs> that I thought we might move to, or I don't know. My wife doesn't like the water, so it really didn't work out. And I basically, it ended up, part of the cliff went down on some beach huts. They sued me. I had to sell it for 100 grand in the end because I'd gone bust. I had no money. I couldn't pay the mortgages. I had three kids. And basically, this, my savings had just dropped Being into dropped. the sea. I, I, I took out a really onerous loan, you know, one of those frightening ones. That, yes. So that took care of about another 60 grand. And then with the 40 we had left, we started Lush. Wow. Isn't that unbelievable? Mm. And I couldn't quite believe this when I read it, but your wife, Mo, actually invented the bath bomb. Yes. She made the very first bath bomb in her garden shed in 1989, and now 30 years later, you're selling over 15 million bath bombs a year. Yeah. And for anyone who may not have seen your bath bombs, just have a look on Lush's website and here tonight, the ginger ninja, which is a tiny ninja, and the uh, cyanide pill, which looks like a giant pill. They're totally creative. But then you started to use your products for bigger purposes, didn't you? For your efforts to improve the world. Could you talk about where this came from and what product actually particularly started this? Um, well, it was, it was a little sort of vicious little thought, really, that started it. Not a nice, generous one. Um, I went to Anita's uh, Anita died, so unbelievably surprised and sad, really embarrassed about some of the things I'd said because I'd been very public. I mean, uh, the day after she died, Channel 4 wanted me to go on, on the television and start to badmouth her, you know? I mean, like, I, well, I didn't know she was poorly. No one told me, and I, I wouldn't have behaved in that way. But when I went to her memorial service, which was in the Methodist Hall, it was a huge event. 
Gordon, I think, was very worried I was going to bring a whole load of animal rights activists with me. So I was, everyone had to show their passport at the door. I was sort of ushered upstairs. I was still very cross about L'Oreal. Um, they were not an appropriate buyer, I didn't think. And then I watched Clive Stafford-Smith. Now, uh, please do Google Clive Stafford-Smith. He has an organization called Reprieve, um, and he fights for the closure of Guantanamo and all sorts of really great human rights things, completely barking mad. And he gave a talk. And I just realized, I mean, Anita wanted that ceremony to be an inspiration to everyone in there to be an activist. And I just thought, well, I'm going to give L'Oreal a run for their money because, um, you know, they are never going to do that with the body shop because no. they're L'Oreal. And, and therefore, I will. So I got a bit more courageous. I, it's wrong to say courageous. Daytime courageous, nighttime a bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> but also, isn't it amazing that whatever happened with you and Anita and everything like that, there was that moment that you were sitting on the balcony at a memorial service, sad that you'd lost someone probably so influential in well, your life. Well, what's interesting is you want to read all the obituaries to see what people got right and wrong, and then you would like that to stop immediately and you can go back to her being alive. Yes. That's where I was. I wanted to know exactly how she was going to be remembered, and then I wanted to go back again. Yeah, yeah. But she almost left you a parting message, didn't she, on that day? You listened to that, you know... It would have included a lot of expletives. Oh, right. I'm not I'm, allowed I, to say. Yes, I know. It might have been fiery, but I think there was, a, there was a moment there that happened. She once sent me a bunch of flowers with a note that just began with W and ended with an R. I'm not... What a woman. What a woman. And you use your products to protest now with, too. The humble bath bombs have campaigned against internet shutdowns, protected endangered birds, taken a stand against illegal imprisonment on death row. And last year alone, Lush contributed to 493 initiatives in Britain, from um, taking on fox hunters to taking on Amazon. It's incredible the power of this business person and the entrepreneur that sits here with me. And I think we're all feeling, actually, today, a little bit powerless with politics and government and everything that's happening. And we need to realise, don't we, that we do have the power. And you're doing exactly that. It's difficult, isn't it, when you're indignant? You know what I mean? You just, I mean, if we, we just talk about one which we're probably most famous for, which is the spy cops, where for 50 years, policemen on overtime thought it was okay, or at least their bosses thought it was okay, for them to sleep with activists from Greenpeace or someone who worked in a, a charity shop but had a boyfriend that was an activist in order to find out when there would be a demonstration or something like that. And when all this came out, you know, it was just so horrifying. Um, uh, but the police wouldn't sort of do anything about the women treated in this way. Now, for me, what, what, what actually happened was we, we had a, a, a big conference where they were there, but they would be held in camera because they weren't, they weren't to be known. And I, I listened to them talking, and we got to the end, and I've been supporting them for years, and, the, and they said, see you next year. I thought, no. No, I can't, even now, you can, I cannot see you next year. Can't just go on and on and on. So we did the campaign. We gave them the window. Mm. We let them do what they thought was appropriate in the window. Caused an almighty fuss. 
Was I sorry about the fuss? Well, the fuss is always a bit of a worry. Yes, um, it is. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend everyone do it, but it's wrong. You know, mm -hmm. it's wrong. And I don't think anyone, you know, when you look at all the facts, would say, oh, no, 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 that was right. And as, as the inquiry still, still hasn't got sorted out, do you know what I mean? So it's still mm. not being resolved. And that's just as bad for the policeman as it is for everyone else. It's mm. just a mess. Mm. Anyway. And, and do you but think you that... get a sense of the indignation. I just, and then, do I worry about it in the middle of the night? Yes. Do I wish I wasn't going to do it in the day? Yes. Then I get up and bloody do it. <laughs> worry. Do, do you think businesses then in the future, I mean, you heard me speak this evening, should or will stand for more and have stronger missions. What's your view on this? Why shouldn't they? That's well, my view. Yeah. You know, the question I'm always asked is, what's it, what is it? You want to save the world, you want to sell bath bombs? I'd like to do both, if it was available. If it's and not you don't available, see that there's a reason why that can't happen? Well, it all comes down to everyone here, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if you, the lovely thing about the internet, I mean, you can inform yourself now, can't you? You can have a damn good look. You don't have to just believe in the Daily Mail yes. or, or whatever paper you read. You can have a damn good look. And you should look at who you're buying from because they only have power when they can fool you into, I'll give you another example. It's very simple. When you buy a, a pair of binoculars, the companies that own the binocular companies, they also make sites for rifles um, and sites for hunting, especially big game hunting, and maybe sites for killing children in, in playgrounds in, in uh, Chicago or, I was thinking, really, Florida. Um, and so, for example, a big ammunition manufacturer who supports the NSA, they actually um, sell binoculars to bird watchers. Now, I think the, the birdwatchers should know that. I don't think they should necessarily stop buying them, but they should know it. Yes. And my experience is, if I wrote a letter to one of the birdwatching magazines and they published it, that company will withdraw its advertising for them for a year. For a year. So they won't be a, feel that they can tell people that. So I try and tell people that. And I've just told you a lot. <laughs> but I think that's right. I, I just think it's correct that the power of your listeners or, or your, your audience here, is respected and allowed to be focused. If 80% if or 85% of people in Britain do not believe in fox hunting, a small group of people, about 300,000, do believe in fox hunting. They can't get away with it, especially if then you have a, a democratic process that puts a law against it. So I don't feel I'm risking anything, because if 70% of you, or hopefully more, don't believe in fox hunting, I'm, I'm all right with that. The 30%, the other people, they really shouldn't shop with me. Isn't it it's so powerful when I'm listening to Mark speak and I look at all, everything I'm consuming on TV, all the ads that I must be consuming all day long, the power of just this conversation and hearing this, that, which is he's running a commercial entity, commercial business, but look at the power of what he's talking about. It really gives us food for thought about what the future of your business is. I'm my business. I'm taking this all in too, as much as you are. I have a very exciting announcement to make. The Congregation of Inspiration is back for its second year and tickets are now live.
After its huge success in 2018, the Congregation of Inspiration, in partnership with NatWest, has been badged the UK's most creative business conference. I'm so honoured. Providing advice and inspiration for those running a business or for those dreaming of starting one. We're working hard to create an utterly inspirational day, jam-packed with incredible speakers and entertainment, life-changing advice from myself and esteemed guests, but also a chance to shop, eat and drink. And believe me, it's set again to be an Instagrammable extravaganza. But most importantly, it's going to be a chance for you to connect with your community, meet new friends, find your tribe. And I just cannot wait to take your questions, mingle with you all and have a tipple or two at the end of the day. So no matter whether you're an entrepreneur already on the path or a dreamer hoping to quit the nine to five to do what you love, the Congregation of Inspiration is one of the most important days to be part of. If you'd like to come to the Congregation of Inspiration 2019, tickets are now available at holly.co. I look forward to seeing you there. This week, we have a very special ad break, which was recorded live at the Conversations of Inspiration in Manchester. So congratulations to this week's winner, Nicola Fernandez. Over to you. Hi, uh, my name's Nicola Fernandez and I am an illustrator from Manchester, I never was an illustrator at art school, I used to sew, but when I came to Manchester I was all alone and actually I find that today's modern business is a lot of people working on their own, trying to make friends. So I started painting and making products that makes people talk and laugh out loud, quite literally, um, and I wanted to create conversations and attract people that... Um, were interested in the things that I were interested in, so I did a lot of markets um, to bring people closer to me who were my kind of weird. Um, so I run events and speed dating nights um, for people to meet new people. Um, I don't know why I'm really pitching, really. Um, I just think um, it should be more of a community and everybody should work together and trying to find your kind of weird. Um, so yeah, I'm Fernandez Bakes, and my kind of weird, I've painted a spoon of holly. Um, I also designed the uh, Donald Trump pincushion, um, which Holly knows about, um, to get people talking and creating conversations about the politics and stuff which people will find funny and people with a sense of humour. So if Holly, can I give you a oh spoon? Oh my God, I love this! A spoon with my face on it, I can't imagine it. Oh my gosh. This is it, this is it. I've had, I've had a moment now. I have a spoon. You're very talented. You are very, very talented. Yeah, have a look at her site and look at the Donald Trump pincushion. It's quite a good one. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. I'd love to talk to you about retail and the high street, as it's something that's often discussed on this podcast. You have 928 shops globally. I mean, I couldn't handle two. No, I don't know no. how you're doing what this. What does a man need 928 shops for? It's a weird thing, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it, I'm hoping you're going to get it to this thousand. That's a nice clean number. Well, but you've I'm, been trying to get there for a long time. Uh, <laughs> 
I'm always thinking about brands in the high street and I really admire people who are innovating and pushing things forward. And I'm always stumped by what I just see as a dying high street. I just find it quite depressing. And, you know, when I think about Lush and the few brands that I... I think you're to blame. Oh, okay, brilliant. Not in the high street. Not on the high street. Not on the high street. No different. Yes, yes. Just semantics. Oh, what? what, what, Oh, this podcast is getting interesting, guys. This is getting interesting. Yes. You did it, didn't you? Not on the high street. Yeah, but how uh, can you sit here and uh, having done that to us uh, poor retailers? Well, (laughs) so I'll tell you because not on the high street people, because our PR department was not very good at this message, was never, ever about stopping small businesses on the high street. I had to know I was never going to buy from you. No, well, then you were mistaken there, because Not on the High Street was absolutely a business that saved small businesses from the high street, as my high street had six Starbucks. So actually, they couldn't afford the rent, they couldn't afford the things, and they were being kicked out. This was 2006, right? So the small businesses came onto the internet, the Not on the High Street internet. I was sort of joking. Okay. (laughs) Did I do well there? Let me just go uh, through a little bit about the high street. So if we go back... In time. I, I was just getting into complimenting I, you. Well, it's very at, nice. At Thank you very much. The same level as Lush and Apple, yeah. the two brands that I think. Well, that's you know, very nice. Brilliant. But let's stop okay. there for a okay, minute we'll because stop. I, I think we'll there's stop. a few interesting yeah. points. Let's here. get into it. If we go back now, obviously I'm in my 60s, and I can remember with my nan that we had the book. We had K's, or we had Great Universal, or we had one of those sort of books. And you bought stuff on the Never Never on the book. And, you know, my school uniform used to be bought that way. Everything was bought on the book. And mail order at that time was very, very big and very powerful. And, and retail was big and powerful, but nowhere near as strong. Great yeah. Universal, one of the best, big, strong companies. Then you started to get that huge push of retail. You know, George Davis and Next. And then he started to, he bought K's, I think, I can't remember which one, K's. And he then did the next directory. So he, he started a yes. very different flavor. And you had Terence Conran, who did Habitat. And he, in fact, got George Davis into Next. And he was pushing a really powerful message, Habitat and um, Conran and, and uh, soup kitchens and God knows yes. how many other innovations he did. So you had this big surge of retail where the mail order all died off. And then the internet brought back another good, strong surge of, of mail order. But the truth is, it, goods bought in Britain, it's still, at best, less than 10% goes mm. to the internet. Mm. I think if there's one thing that the internet has done, it sucked up entrepreneurs like you and diverted you from the high street. That's what yes. I regret. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm all right. right. Am I okay? Mechanics. This? So okay. it's not, it's not yep. the end of the earth. People are still buying far more from shops. It's just who wants to buy something from Smelly Smiths? Who wants to go to Marks and Spencers when it's so dull? You know, they call, <laughs> what do they call themselves now? Heritage retailers, yeah? And they've all paid too much rent. Yeah. So then they have to pass that on to you. And now the rents are all collapsing everywhere. Um, and that's good news. So what, what do you think then makes, so what I was going, what, what, what Sorry, I was, no, I've no, not at all, there. not at all. So we're all no, right, no. we're still friends. Oh my gosh, of course, <laughs> I love it. 
But, you know, like I said, you popped into um, your newest shop in Manchester, which is the Naked Shop, which is your third Naked Shop after Milan and Berlin. Yeah. You innovate. So, yes, I completely agree. There's been these amazing changes in retail. Yeah. But today, what we're looking at, and I feel like we're in a transition between what's the past and what the future is, and yeah. we sort of don't know what that is. But you are doing things differently. You know, I went into, um, I was in, um, there I was in Canterbury. And the another ca cathedral Another, town. I was in so many cathedrals these days. And I was um, walking up the high street and every single shop was shut, basically. Yeah. I mean, they, they had something like 45 closures in the last few months. And I walked into Lush, and it was just this experience. And every time I walk in, I get the same experience, but it's genuine. The people there are genuine. How do you do that, though? How do we recruit those people? Well, or how do you just build this I thing that is different? I have a little joke about that, if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, Marks and Spencer's got very st stiff, you know, they're, they're very careful about how they recruit people. I think you still can't have a beard. Um, and, and let's say John Lewis, they are. You have to pee on a stick and all sorts to get in John Lewis. <laughs> And what I tell them is, we have everyone else. Oh. <laughs> but it, it, you are doing things differently. Milan, you, you look at this naked shop, you are trying to change retail on the high What's street. What's really exciting, the naked shop, I mean, we've got a tiny, tiny example of the naked shop here with our naked shop crew, not naked crew, but naked shop crew. Um, what's really exciting about that is the technology that we're slowly developing to go with it. Because if you don't have any packaging, obviously less information for you, the consumer, not so good. I suspect those of you that have been kind enough to shop with us have occasionally got home and tried to wash their hands with a massage bar. Or, do you know what I mean? Got, uh, because you don't have the information. So what we've been developing is an app where you can hold up that naked product and then you just put the lens on it and then that lens tells you all about that product, including videos about how to use and everything else. So even when you give a gift, um, you know, the person that receives the gift can use the lens and, and see what the product is. And then in the latest shop in, um, in Japan, we've put um, a series of the exclusive products that are only in that shop in Japan in the window, and you can use the lens to purchase them out of shop hours. Mm. My goodness. And, yeah. and, and that's the point, isn't it? It's using all of the stuff we've got, the modern things we've got, to move forward into a world that we want to be part of. You know, I mean, the, the cosmetic industry is huge. Um, you, you know, you, you've no idea. I mean, my company turns over a, a billion pounds. That's how much we, we turn over. Sounds like a big company, yeah? I'm less than 0.6% of my total industry. Right. So you can take all of the film industry, all of the gaming industry, all of the, the videos and, and streaming services. You can take every, pop, every top football team in Britain. Um, all, I said all the movie houses, the uh, Virgin, uh, British Airways, Marks and Spencer, all those in. And there's still loads of room in my industry. Yeah. Wow. So it, it also produces an awful lot of plastic crap. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. li no lightning strike. So that, you know, that's the point. So, so being able to influence them and change them, we can do quite a lot with that. 
And these sort of innovations, you know, can really push it because how do you provide the information you want to provide to the person who's bought it without having all that plastic and paper and boxes and all little leaflets and all that? But again, you're, you know, here we are, you're innovating, you're taking your stores, you're taking technology and you're not abandoning the high street, you're actually um, innovating. And in Liverpool, you have your spa shop, which is the largest worldwide shop with spans four floors, including a spa and a hairdressing salon, and it can hold over nine million bath bombs. What was it like opening a store of this size? And why did you do that? Because I can. Yeah. Like it. Say, uh, that's pretty cool. What we, did, <laughs> what we did was we opened a big Oxford Street store, and what happened was we, in, we created lots of product. Now, the thing you have to remember is that myself and the other founders, we are formulators. That's what we do. That's our creative act. When you buy from a normal cosmetic company, the guys at the top are not formulators, so that's not what drives Explain them. Explain what formulators is. Well, I formulate products. I, I'm going to go back this week, and I'm certainly next week, and I'm going to do two or three new products. And, and perfumes. My son is a perfumer, works with me, and we do an awful lot of perfumery, and, and we'll keep on bringing out different perfumes. So, for example, in, in the Liverpool store, we've got a perfume library where we've, we've stocked it with all the perfume books. So lots of other perfumers go there. And then, all, and, and then there are some of our old ones that we haven't done for quite a while, and then there's some new ones and all sorts of things. You can go there and have a really good moment. You can have a nice uh, cup of coffee while you're doing it with, without cow's milk. Yes. And, uh, and you can have a listen to some music there. But, yeah, why did I do it? I've forgotten. I'll tell you what is really nice <laughs> about Liverpool. Um, how nice the people are. Yes. Yeah, aren't they? <laughs> I've never been, I mean, you, I, from my point of view, you open your store in, in any high street, and whoever comes in, that's a very kind of them. And then you make your most of, of that moment, or whatever it is. Um, I've never been in a situation where I've opened a store, and so many people have came, come in and thanked me for opening it. I mean, it was just lovely. lovely. Thank you for choosing yeah. Liverpool. The sense of community, and that's the point, you know, I was thinking when I saw all these different things, one of my favourite sayings, dig where there are potatoes. If you're going to open a great big store yes. on a, a, a big street, then make sure it's a street where everybody comes and shops and they all love it and they support it and they support their community and they have a passion. Dig where there are potatoes. And I know you have strong views on Amazon and our <laughs> non-friend, Jeff. Um, one of our missions at Holly & Co is to encourage everyone to shop with as many independents and small businesses as possible, online or offline. Um, and we say vote with your money for the type of world that you want to live in. And small businesses will do a happy dance when you do that. I can't quite believe Jeff doing a happy dance no. um, like well, a small I, I business think, owner would. I think would. Jeff and I share quite a lot. I think we have a similar psychological profile. Okay. Except I didn't spend all my time destroying every business I went into. So I didn't decide I would sell books so cheap that no one could compete with me or whatever else. Just constantly taking industry after industry, where if he'd have just had some therapy, I think the world would have been a better place. <laughs> I love what you say. W-A-C-D. Do what Amazon can't do. You say Amazon um, can't do the human thing anymore. And I think this is so important they for call small them businesses. Jeff Box, don't they? they do indeed. And I think he did his latest conference in a natural robot. Um, what do you think small businesses can do to compete with Amazon? 
I, well, I buy lots from small businesses through the post. Um, the notes. Oh, how lovely are the notes. I mean, um, I've got nine grandchildren. Okay, it's prolific in many ways. And, and the last one came, and, and we bought all sorts of items on the internet. I would have said 60 to 70% came with a personal note um, saying, thank you so much for choosing this for your baby. I just love it. I love it. I love it. I want to, if I could, I'd go around and give them all a hug. Yeah. How lovely is that? Anything you can do where you personalize it, where you show who you are and who someone's kindly supporting, that, that's the key. And it's the same thing in your business. That's mm. the point. You, you know, the point is be, be human, be real. Uh, if something's wrong, make sure you fix it. But, but that personalized touch you know, my colleagues here are kind enough to, to do that every day. I, mean, I like to think of shops as somewhere where you can restore someone's faith in human nature. Oh, that's lovely, yeah. That's a, that's a really, really wonderful thing to say. I totally believe it, and that can be online and offline. Oases of kindness, maybe without yeah. going too gushy. <laughs> and I love that you have a shower jail named after the Amazon boss. Is that right? Tell, tell us well, that story. Well, they keep on... They're still using our name, right? Despite the fact we won in court, we're still negotiating with them to sort it out. Um, so how do you teach someone, please don't keep using the lush name when you don't own it? We own it. We dreamt it up. It's ours. So um, we took the, the, the MD of, of um, Amazon... And we created a product, a smoothie, that was rich and thick and full of it. <laughs> and uh, we named it after North, who was the MD, and we registered his name. I still own his name. I've also registered my own name, um, just in case. Um, but the point is, the point is, and, and this is the thing, they can't do any of that stuff. Do you see what I mean? That yeah. What actually happened was we, it was almost an internal joke, but they complained about it to the judge, and the judge found in our favor and said, despite what we had done, and then journalists read that and said, what did you do? And then we told them what we'd done, <laughs> uh, that we'd registered his name and had a product. We never sold it, um, and I still, like I said, I still own his, his name. I'd quite <laughs> like to give him his name back, but you can't trust them, can you? <laughs> Tell me about, um, you have just shut down your main social media channels. I was amazed how much fuss that caused. It, well, I mean, it was just everywhere. But tell the stats, uh, it's the statistics. Well, you, but but tell me about but this. But for anyone that, who hasn't, uh, hasn't heard this, there was so much press about it, and I'd love to hear it straight from you, about this decision. So tell me about why and what you did and what you think then the future will be of that decision. Well, it, the thing is, you know, if, if we have a Facebook page, we have to pay Facebook for that page. And they're selling your you to us. Well, they don't own you. I mean, if we were advertising on ITV, at least they, they make some content that entertains everybody. But just having the person and then exploiting the person, that isn't quite right, is it? And anyway, we don't reach hardly anyone because they keep curtailing it and, and doing all sorts of algorithms to make it collapse. So, unless you spend more. Well, unless I spend yes, more. Yes, exactly. That's what, yes. Asking them to provide the data they've stolen from you. I, it's not quite right, is it? 
So we don't do it. So you just decided... It doesn't make any difference. Because you weren't reaching anyone anyway. So you decided... I'm not saying this one day, because and of course that's you would I have had, had to the do data. more talks. Uh, <laughs> to get out there. Yeah. You're actually getting... What am I going to do? I'll have I'm, to, get, I'll go have and to actually do get talk. these people, not their data, in a cathedral. Let's start in Manchester. But you, so you decided, what, what, not one day, you didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, guys, it's, it's shut son, down the social media channels. It's my son Jack Okay, go on. Yes. Brought pretty much in one day. It was. I think he, I, he, he'd, well, he'd been looking at the statistics for so long. The point is, if you're not reaching anyone, why are you going to do it? And we're not going to pay for the advertising. We're not going to do that. And they don't own the data in the first place, so why would you give them the money? No, it was that straightforward, so we just did it. I, was, I thought we would just do it, and nobody would mind. I didn't know it was going to be like, oh, my God, look what I should have done now. And? Well, because you're scaring people, because if you're going to do this with such a big company, maybe not big company in the cosmetic world, but a big company for everybody else, you're really showing us, I was going to say, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, I start to think, well, hang on a minute. But you already, you could see that in the figures. You could feel it coming. All of the, you know, if we look at all of the, the internet clothing companies at the moment, they're all just struggling a bit. Everything, you could see it coming. Mm -hmm. You know, this grinding machine was, it's almost like watching it. It's like some sort of, you know, Indiana Jones big ball coming down the thing. It's coming anyway, yep. right? All, all we said was, bye, fellas. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're just going to hop over here if that's all right. And it, has, and it hasn't had a material, because you have now what you believe is having your local um, socials, let, yes? Let, let me, let's just make this clear, because it, it, let's go back to the spy cops, right? Did that have a material effect? We don't think so, but you can never be sure, yeah? There are certainly some people who still feel that we were maligning the modern police force, which we were, were not doing. Um, and it's the same thing with that. We must be losing something, mustn't we? But if you're selling something that's nice enough and you're giving a good enough service, and we are on the high street, you can pop in. Well, that'll do, won't it? Yeah. Well, it, you said it makes sense. So I'm like, but yeah. I, I don't think I, mean, I could sit here and say it, it had no damage. I've no idea. Well, you, know, you don't I, know. And it's early days, right? I can't remember what our British internet business is up at the moment, but it's certainly in the 17 to 23% somewhere around there. Right, well, it's not having that much effect So then. we're not having a minus 23. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's interesting, isn't it? When people stand up and do something different in industry, it is worth looking at those mavericks. Not that you would maybe call yourself a I maverick. Like, I like that because it's a slightly sort of twist on idiots, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely don't I mean it, it as an know. idiot. No, I mean someone who just makes sense, right? It makes sense, so he just did it. Think, but look how many think, people don't yeah. do that. Just it makes sense and do it because everyone else is doing it, so you just feel like you can't. It's having tr trust in your own observations and beliefs. When you walk along the high street, you think, I don't know how they're making money. They're not making money. Yeah. Yeah? They're just not making money. All the times when you think, I don't know how that happens. Probably not happening. You're right they're wrong. It's one of the lovely things about the lens. Shall I tell you a secret about the lens? It's a little bit iffy, the lens. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because everyone thinks it's them. Every customer goes, I'm not very good with this. <laughs> no, we're still working on the damn thing. <laughs> it's not quite there yet. It's not you, it's it. <laughs> 
I'd love to talk about your family business model as you've been with your wife since you were in your teens and you still work every day together. Now you're in your 60s and you have three children and all work in the business and live nearby. Tell me what it's like working with each other. Horrific. The sort of advantages and disadvantages. What about the advantages? I think it's a privilege to be able to work with my children. So, and they, I, I would have probably not been so keen to go on into my 60s, maybe even into my 70s, if I wasn't working with them. And they are, you know, they're great. I mean, in Paul, we live in Paul. If you, if you want a job in Paul, we're the most exciting thing. <laughs> so they all had to join us because there wasn't anything more interesting than us. Um, and they've, they've, they've been very, very good. And... and I, Simon is 37 now, my eldest son, and he will have done 20 years next year. Wow. And I, I am going to get him a medal <laughs> because, you know, it is so difficult being in a family business, working with your family all the time. I mean, just amazing. And they, and the, and the, they then obviously argue, the sibling rivalry, they have to go off every week they meet for a lunch and try and sort their, their stuff out. It's just constant hard work. But given the alternative, from my point of view, we're, we're doing an employee benefit trust. So the employees will progressively own more and more of Lush. Um, they own 10% at the moment. And then what all of the founders have agreed is when we sell our shares, we'll sell to the employee benefit trust at a set ratio. So we've sort of capped the greed a little bit. But obviously, if we can still build the business, it can still grow. Um, so we've got that on the one side. And then this hard-working family group um, on the other side providing a future because it's all very well saying Anita shouldn't have sold to L'Oreal. Well, who should she have sold to then? What should mm. have happened then? How should it have been then? You know, it's all very well that, isn't it, being critical and smart-ass, but what's the, what model can you have then? Because founders want to leave their businesses. You know, they may be their babies, but they get exhausted, anxious, panic-stricken, and they want to get out. Um, um, how, does, how do you have a device that enables that? And that's what I think, I, in a way, I'm most proud of about Lush. Pretty proud of the Liverpool store, please go. Um, but I'm pretty proud of, of that idea because having the, the dynamic, and it's a bit John Lewis, isn't it? Except John Lewis, John Lewis is a bit Victorian. You know, it's all very, mm. you know. But they were the first ones, weren't they? Yes, that, that, yes. that the public could say, I'm not oh, I know it. everyone at John Lewis owns, you know, everyone that works mm. there owns something of it. And it was a really nice feeling and it's an incredible thing where when you look as an entrepreneur that innovation doesn't just stop in the products or your idea or the logo or the because it, it's it, it's actually in how you create your business you know for small businesses you can create anything you do not have to follow a rule book of HR no. or how you're going to set up your company maybe you know for you it was bringing your family in and now the employees are going to really you know benefit from your your entrepreneurism when thinking about the actual business? I think as long as you don't get too paternal about it, I think it's all right. I think you've got to accept that, you know, if, if we were all doing business together, you have to accept the, the, the different ideas of the people that you're working with and that current moment. You can't have some thing coming in from the past and saying this is how you should do it. Um, I think that's important. 
And lastly, tell me the future of Mark, Mo, your family, Lush. Um, I feel your energy. You, you've, been, you've said before, as I don't believe in retirement, um, and I think Lush is just on, uh, you know, with this conscious consumer coming through, I, I think Lush is on to the next, next yeah. stratosphere, the next wave, isn't it? It's frightening. But it's frightening. Spend a lot of time in the night thinking, bloody hell. Yeah, well, it's, it's all happening almost again. Tell me about this future, what you see. Well, I think, I think well, you were going to compare us to Apple. There are lots of comparisons with Apple. We seem to have, as much by accident as design, exactly what people require. Um, and then it's just a question of getting enough outlets for people to be able to get it. You know, if you want a naked product, we've got a naked product. If you, do you see what I mean? Yeah. You know, if you want something effective, we've got something effective. So it, it, the, the company has this immense potential. I suppose the only thing holding it back are the people. Are the people. Yeah, because it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard and you're tired maybe a little bit. Um, Do you get tired? Uh, if I eat chocolate. That's it. 900 and whatever takes stores. 40 but minutes. But chocolate will do him in. It takes 40 minutes before I'm done in. It's got to the point of work. <laughs> well, you just said it, didn't you? I, 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 we have got a bar of chocolate there, um, but I'm not allowed to have it just in case I fall asleep in the middle of the interview. <laughs> so as long as I don't eat sugar, I'm fine. So the future is um, on another scale, but you're not going to eat chocolate, and that's what we sort of know for the future. Yes. And tell me, incredibly, could you just tell us here today and, and those listening the story of your father and um, the ending to yours and his story? Because it's, it's almost like a Hollywood movie. It is, yes. I, I have had an amazing situation because uh, obviously if you're approaching 60, you don't believe you're going to ever meet your father, do you? You know, I mean, it's not going to happen at 60 and... Um, and my friend Jeffrey, I think, had watched me go through so much ups and downs. I mean, we've been friends since we were Cub Scouts, yeah? And he likes to do genealogy. So he, um, he decided he would do my family tree for my 60th birthday to give me some sort of sense of structure to my life, because I really didn't have any. I thought I was, um, I thought I was probably from someone from Cyprus with a name like Constantine. I didn't really know because I didn't know my dad. And um, anyway, he found my dad. And he told me by sending me a text. <laughs> found him alive. That was it. I was so cross. Uh, I'd been told by someone else who, who desperately wanted to meet their father, go straight away, do not mess about it, if you ever find your father, go. He was in South Africa, um, Johannesburg, so I went with all my family, straight away. Mm. Um, I met my two sisters that I'd never met at the airport. They said, thank God you're carrying your own luggage. I think they thought Posh and Becks were coming or something, I don't know quite <laughs> what they thought. Um, and... I met my father, and I think for those of you that have issues <laughs> like mine, um, I think what age you are when you meet, when your father leaves, makes a difference to how you feel when you meet him again. So I think if it, I'd been older and I'd have known him a bit and it had all been, I'd have understood the abandonment more. So really, I'm talking about abandonment issues. If, if I'd known about the abandonment more, I don't think it would have been such a pleasant meeting, but 
Um, for me, I just was so pleased to see him. Um, we, we, the words we used were, all's well that ends well. Mm. Um, I was due to go back in February, uh, but he died six weeks after I met him. Um, yeah, but it was wonderful. And when I went back for the funeral, well, I'd done this perfume called Dear John, right? Which was the first time I'd really felt that I could express myself through perfumery better than I could through words. And it was, it was how I always wanted my father to smell. It was something, a, a, a masculine perfume you smell when you get close to someone, and it was a mixture of coffee and pencils and things that I associated with men, you know, the dentist's breath or something. <laughs> it was, it was all that. And uh, one of my colleagues, Rowena, who I've worked with all my life, said, uh, interesting that the perfume you associate with your dad is everything he wanted. You know, he wasn't close, and he wasn't holding you, and it wasn't a hug. But the, the whole thing was to bury your face in, in, into the jacket of that person. Um, and that was something that I, you know, I had always wanted to do. So anyway, that's what the perfume was. I took the perfume to him, and he absolutely, his name was John, right? The Dear John letter, you know, that whole thing. That's, so, and he loved the perfume, and he smelt it all the time, and he kept it close to him. And then when I went back, um, I went back for his funeral, um, my two sisters sat me in between them. Mm. The kindness, the compassion. Um, and we went to spread his ashes where he used to live. And my elder of the two sisters sprinkled dear John on the rocks, mm. which I thought was particularly unkind. It made me cry. Yeah, well, I can imagine. <laughs> Thank so, you for sharing yes, that with me. Thank you. I end all um, interviews with this analogy that running your own small business is like being on an epic roller coaster. If you remember, you run a very bigger business than a small business. Well, I've run but, small. I, and you, it, it but was you started, small. exactly. You will remember this, and your yeah. roller coasters must be it's still a bit the same. bigger. It's still a roller coaster. Tell me what one of your biggest lows was during this journey of, of running your own business. Well, it, it was pretty awful when we went bust. But you know, I think sitting up here and thinking about it when Anita died. Mm. And, and tell me, conversely, your high? Mm. This meeting. <laughs> and that's a first. That is a first. <laughs> wow. Oh, God, I'm going to tell mum and dad about that. Well, they'll listen. They'll listen. <laughs> And something else I've started to ask my guests is, 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 who could you personally recommend for me to interview that has inspired you? Daunt. Tell me about... Well, Daunt, Daunt has got five bookshops, Daunt books. They're full of know-it-alls, including me, shopping. You know, I, I can't wait to tell someone, oh, I saw that in, um, you know, before it was published. And, you know, and then some other know-all comes along, tells me something else, and then I tell someone else. So it's full of people who love books and want to brag about it um, and the staff are great and the, and the bookshops are really successful and then he he left well he didn't leave it I think he still owns it but then he went off and, and started to run Waterstones so the improved Waterstones you're seeing is because of Daunt yeah interview Daunt thank you I will 
Mark, thank you so much. What a story. What a brand. I mentioned earlier that I can never find a brand that really inspires me and pushes retail forward the way we consume. And I always use Apple as an example. Um, and now what you're doing with Lush and what you have done with Lush, you are so right up there. I'm a product girl. I love design, cleverness, um, things that make me go weak at the knees. And you've made me go weak at the knees, oh, Mark. You have. <laughs> When I, um, that's, that's my main aim, I yeah. would say. <laughs> it's a magical business making significant change. And it's just huge congratulations to you because I don't have many people I truly, truly look up to. And you are absolutely one of them. Um, your book is available here tonight and there'll be a chance for us all... It's not my book. No? It's Jeffrey's book. Jeffrey, who found my father, then wrote a book about it. And then I have to go around and everyone knows all my personal details. <laughs> but it's Jeffrey's book, but I'm happy, to book, I'm happy to sign it. And you it. are happy to sign it. Um, and it's, not, um, it's been published by Lush, yes. so that it's not available on Amazon. That was the problem. But now it's a moment I hand over to you, Mark, yeah. um, to read a letter that you've written to your younger self. Um, I don't know what you're going to say, but I thank you very dearly for sharing a part of your soul with us tonight. It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Okay, here it is. I was put under considerable pressure to write this. Hang on. Oh, God, we have my glasses. Okay, um, I'm writing to myself age 16, 17 when I was homeless. Hello, Mark. Here are a few choice words of advice at what is a pretty bad time for you. You will not always live like this. You will find a home, a lovely one, with Mo and plenty of children. But homelessness will give you empathy for those in similar situations and drive you to be successful. On that note, keep on with the makeup and hair studies, they will come in very handy. In the early part of your career, make the most of your time with Anita. Don't be frightened of her and pay a bit more attention to what she's up to. You are going to love what she gets you into and you have so much to learn, both from her and Gordon. You're going into business like your nan. Shops, beauty shops to be precise, and you're going to have a hell of a good time. There will be ups and downs, but you will come through both and you won't die in the effort. Can I just say that you don't die young of a heart attack, or at all. That panicky fear thing is just you grieving for your nan, and it's doing her proud, not impressing your dad, that will drive you on. I don't want to spoil what you will later discover, but here are a few clues. You aren't from Cyprus, but from here in Manchester, Bolton to be precise. Your, your gran and granddad live here, and your auntie June, they would love to see you. Your dad's in Britain, by the way, but just off to South Africa with your lovely stepmom and two sweet sisters. Don't worry about that, though, because you will, in the end, come together. Don't try to go with him. He gets caught up in developing the nuclear bomb for South Africa and Israel, and you've got a different path to take. Your thoughts about the environment are right. Stick with them. I don't really have to tell you this, but you will never learn to drive and will still be riding your bike when you're 70. Oh yes, and did I mention that the years from 55 to 75 are the most creative years of your life? Which are, I have to add, going to be a bit busy. The most surprising thing you will learn 
is how much your senses will mean to you. I suppose it comes from the period of homelessness. Nobody and nothing can take your senses away, not even age. And synesthesia turns out to be a gift. Make the most of your love of music and birdsong, keep smelling the roses, and never forget the tenderness of touch. Your love of nature will also blossom into a hundred different pieces, and you will write that book, but it won't be about what you think. There will be quite a few run-ins for you, mainly with the men in your life. Some are great, like Jeffrey Osmond, Peter Grant, and Killian Milani, and they will enhance your appreciation of the world. I could warn you about a few of the others, but where's the fun in that? As a rule of thumb, trust your gut instincts and continue to believe in the wisdom of women and, the, and you will sort the wheat from the chaff. Just one little clue, that mint mask for men you just brought from Sally, the holiday magic girl, is going to make you a lot of money. No, don't start selling holiday magic, just wait. The friends you make when you first start in business will remain friends and colleagues for the rest of your life. Like attracts like. You will be able to trust each other with your lives. As you get older, the same happens with your family, which just keeps growing. Oh, and Sister Laura will sort your mum out, and you will all live happily ever after. Finally, carry on trusting people. Never lose that trust. And as you get older, spend plenty of time with younger folk. They have so much to teach you. Love, Mark. Oh. It was worth keeping on at me, wasn't it? <laughs> I just think it's just such a, um, as I said, an inspiration for anyone, you know, we, we talk about the young a lot and we talk about people growing businesses. And I think what you said is the ages between, what, between 50? Between 55 and 75 are the most creative. It's a yogic principle. They're the most creative of your life because you've, you've established all the things that you need to do and now you're left to exploit your creativity or explore or just thank enjoy Thank you, it. Mark. On that note, I think we thank Mark for the most inspirational conversation. Great time, thank you. Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub. It's full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come